When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. This is Jennifer Justice. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Today on the pod, we have Allie Young. She's a CEO and founder of The Forum. Hi, Allie. Hi, JJ. How are you? I am good. Good, good. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's get right into it and say, what is The Forum? So The Forum is a platform that helps companies source, automate, measure, and scale live training. So the reason why I created this company is because I have 20 years in tech. um, And throughout that career, I only got really great training once I became an executive. And I sort of looked around and said, I finally figured it out. Why am I getting this stuff now? I've been, you know, learning through trial and error, lots of error, just, you know, winging it every day. And how do I show up better? How do I manage better? How do I sell better? And I had nothing that was structured to help me understand how to do that. And so I started really researching this industry and peeling back the onion. And what I found is that 80% of all training goes to the top 20% of a company. And so I created the forum so that we could have scalable training. It could be manager training. It could be training on psychological safety, on EQ, like all of the things that create high-performing teams, happier employer employees, safer in work environments. But it has to be scalable. It can't just go to the top you know, percent of a company. So that's what we do and why I created the forum. And so how does that exist? Like what is the, what's the process? So the process is we have a platform that companies can license. And what they do is they can upload their employees into the platform. It could be up to 10,000 employees. And then what our platform does, it will automatically segment all of those employees into much smaller cohorts of individuals. And each one of those cohorts can have a different live training. And we teach training, not just in a one-off workshop, but in groups of four. So people will come back four times for this training, and but different topics. So for example, we have manager training. That's It starts with growth mindset, psychological safety, giving feedback, and then being a coach instead of managing and giving methods in which to do that. And so every week, these managers will log in on a weekly basis for this hour, hour and a half training on a particular topic. And the benefit is that they're learning. There's a little bit of time in between when they're learning so they could start processing 
you know, with growth mindset, like when do I have these moments of growth mindset? When am I really curious? When am I sort of turned off and defensive? How do I teach this to my team and really instill these types of practices so that you have time to think about it? And then when you come back to the next training, you see more familiar faces via Zoom. I should answer that. This is all remote. And there could be up to 200 people that are in this Zoom training. It's typically 50 to 200. But when you come back over and over again, you really get to know the different people that are in this cohort with you, your colleagues, and often their colleagues across departments. You could have someone in finance, you know, somebody in marketing, someone in sales, someone in engineering. These different people that typically don't meet start building relationships on the basis of this thing that they're learning. Um, we also leverage tons of breakout rooms. So we usually teach for 10 minutes. Then people go into a breakout room for another 10, really one-to-one. And then they come back out. We go a level deeper back into a breakout room for another 10 minutes with a different person often. And again, that's how these individual employees are able to start building relationships and meet different people across their company. So what we always talk about is that not only do we teach something, but we build connectivity and community throughout a company through the process of learning. So you, all of these people that you that are your clients are really big companies. Yes, it's well, you know, we have a lot of growth, uh, high growth tech companies. Uh, so we work with companies that have, I don't know, five hundred to a thousand employees. They are venture backed, which means every time that they get a round of funding, they have to double, triple the size of their team. And with that comes lots of chaos. There's lots of people who have been promoted really quickly without having any basis or foundation for you know, of knowledge of what, how do they need to show up in this next level of responsibility? How do they manage really well as an example? Um, and then we also work with larger organizations where, you know, they do need to use our platform to take the, you know, to, to run many, many cohorts across the organization. So and, it's a mix. Right. So it's a mix, right? And then when, so when everybody's in these classes, it's ever, it's just one company. It's not across anything else, right? Correct. Yes, that is correct. It's one company with the promise of building that connectivity while learning. Right. And then so when so what made you want to do this other than like I was an executive, like, you know, go back from the beginning and and like yeah. what were your major milestone steps here? Well, first, I need to mention, which I didn't before, and I know this is so near and dear to your heart. My big objective is to solve diversity within organizations. So when we look again at the 80% of money and training that goes to the top 20% of a company, that is $360 billion that is spent every single year on the top 20%. Who is in that top 20% of a company? It's almost exclusively white men. So $360 billion is going to reinforce the status quo within companies, going to people who've already made it, who've already figured it out, who already have mentors, who already have advisors, you know, network, who already have a strong network, access, access, exactly. And so privilege, privilege. (laughs) Yes. And that top 20%, it's 65% truly is the number that is typically um, white men. So Our objective really is when, and what we believe is that if we're able to get incredible training into the hands of all employees, it's a way for us to level the playing field. And one of the reasons that connectivity is so important is because then you have access and then you're able to build a network as an individual. So we want companies to succeed. You know, that's like how we think about this because they're the ones that hold the budget. So we know if we want to scale across a company, if we want to get to women, if we want to get to underrepresented minorities, we have to create a scalable product. And that is the driving force behind what we do. 
So, and then how do we do it is we create this scalable training throughout an organization. And the benefit to companies before the forum or without the forum, the way that a company would do training is they would they could really only train 20, 25 people at a clip. It was typically live before the pandemic. Now it's a lot of it's via Zoom, but it's still very, very small scale. So if you think about a very large company, you could even, even a mid-sized company of 1,000, 2,000 employees, if they're only training 20 managers and that's their big manager program, how are they going to start, you know, like instilling psychological safety throughout a company with 20 managers every single year when there's 500 of them? Like you can't actually achieve the things that you want to achieve as a company or uphold the values you want to uphold as an organization if you're not teaching people how to uphold them, what they are, what to do about them and how to act and show up every day. And so the fact that we just expect all employees to like show up and provide psychological safety when there's no basis for that understanding doesn't make any sense to me and it just doesn't work. So that is why what we do is so important. And one of the ways in which we really are able to you know, have a really big impact and what I thought about at the, when I created this company. What do you mean by psychological safety? Oh, yes. Thank you for asking that. So (laughs) psychological, what we mean by psychological safety is, uh, first of all, psychological safety means that employees um, aren't afraid. And there's lots of big and little ways in which they could be afraid. They could be afraid just to speak up in a meeting, just to share an idea in a brainstorm that someone's going to say, no, that doesn't make any sense, or their ideas shut down. And that type of stuff is actually really bad for business because you need every, or a company needs all employees to be able to share their ideas. Companies that have psychological safety, where all of these employees are working closely together, they're collaborating together, their ideas are flourishing those are, that is what creates high-performing teams and it's high-performing teams that create great companies. You know, the mediocre companies are the ones that are a dictatorship where people are afraid to speak up. They are afraid to collaborate. They're also afraid to give feedback that helps all of us become better at what we do and create, you know, provide a kind yet critical eye to our work. So instilling psychological safety not only creates high-performing teams, but happier employees that collaborate and innovate more effectively. Well, don't you need people who are willing to do that as managers? I mean, yes. I came up and in the music you, industry and it was like, yeah. do you know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. I mean, how well is the music industry doing now? Well, I mean, it, oh, it's always going to do well because people are going to buy music. That's just I guess it. It'll do you know? well, it has nothing to do with whether or not they're good people, managers, executives, et cetera. It's like... You know, people on TikTok say they like a song and it makes a ton of money and they stay employed because they don't take any risks. <laughs> so, That's you know, again, it's like you still have all these companies where people are like, you know, and that don't care about whether or not young people have an opinion or feel safe. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of have to be, you know, right. Your clients have to be willing to want to change that. Right. Yes. So here's the thing. I don't know a ton about the music industry, but I think this is a great example for us to think about because when I look at the music industry from the outside, I see an old industry that could have been on the forefront of disruption, could have innovated and didn't and chose not to and became entrenched in their ways because it is a dictatorship, perhaps. It is. It's Um, Not only that, it's like there's no men with working wives. None. Right. So how well is that serving them? 
<laughs> and when I also look at the music industry, I think I know a lot of people that work in the I know a few that work yeah. in the music industry. And what are the companies that they want to work for? Spotify. Like that's, you know, it's like the yeah. disruptors. Those are the companies that yeah. are actually attracting yeah. talent in this industry. And why? Because Spotify, no company is perfect. God knows. But I know that they are one of the companies that does try to instill, you know, these behaviors that are focused on, you know, yeah, collaboration and coordination yeah. and having a safe and happy work environment. And they right. try to instill that in multiple ways. And what do you do when you're at a company and you have someone, and this is where, you know, you come in, where there are people, despite all of the things that you teach, there are certain people that don't believe in it, don't want to do it, and or have are not capable and so then companies have to make a decision for those toxic employees. I'm just yeah. going to label them toxic. What do they yeah. do about it? Because the repercussions are really pretty enormous within an organization when you have a toxic person and how it sort of infiltrates an organization and prevents a team department from really flourishing. Right. So it's not just training to solve the problem. Yeah, you yeah. also have the right mechanism to... Yeah you know, promote the people that are acting in the behaviors that are important to you and as an organization and to demote and fire the people that are not. Right. Or demote. <laughs> how does that uh, go over? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Demotion never works, but how about passed over? They're not the people that should be getting, exactly. you know, that should have power and influence within an organization. Right. Because of their like fixated mindset on it, you know, because it's hard when you've it's been trained that way. Right. Right. That's where you, that's how you were trained. Right. So you then you go, OK, well, this is how things are done. And there's been a massive shift in a very short period of time where we have four generations of people working in the workplace at the same time. Think about, yeah. you know, the people in their 70s, still CEOs like women couldn't get, get credit cards or wear pants when they started. Gosh. Yes, true. That's 50 it's, years it's ago. True. I mean, that's really crazy when you say it that way. I don't think about it that we way. Couldn't have, we we right. didn't have our own credit cards or our own houses until the 80s. Okay. That's not that long ago. Yes. That's 30 years ago. So even 20 yeah. years before that, you know, like I started practicing law early 2000s and women couldn't wear wear pants in the courtroom. Right. Late 2000s. I mean, late, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Come on. That's not that long ago. No, it's really not that long ago. No. Well, one of the first things we teach in our manager training, just to stick to this one theme, is growth mindset um, and teaching people why growth mindset is so important. And when you teach that and they believe it, it does help with everything else that follows. Yeah. Um, People are more willing to be curious and to be a little more introspective and figure out different ways in which they can show up. Right. I believe really good intent in most people and that most people that walk into our trainings, even a lot of them are mandated. It's like, you're a manager. You got to take this training. Yeah. Um, but still, they want to show up the best way possible. But to your point, too, there is such a rapid shift that's happening. They don't always know how or they have these beliefs that don't serve them or their companies anymore. And so- right you know, really getting that through is important. And yeah, if they yeah. don't- No, it's important. It's so important what you guys it. are doing, you know, for that reason. And so yeah. let's go back to, you know, wh how you started, like, where were you? What kind of companies were you at that you were like seeing these things happening and wanted to make a change? 
So, you know, it's interesting because as I mentioned, I worked in tech. I worked at small companies in tech, big tech. I worked at Google for over a decade. Mm -hmm. I never had manager training at Google. And looking back, it's so interesting because they're, you know, always labeled one of the best companies to work for. We know that they invest a ton in training and in their employees, but somehow I never got anything and still really worked my way up the ladder there and was wildly successful. So, you know, that was one of the reasons where I kept mulling over this question saying, how do, how do I, and most everyone I know at this company didn't have any training in this role. And yet it's a company that invests so much in employees and they believe in training. So what is the, like, there has to be a problem here because if these guys can't figure it out, then nobody can. And so that's really when I started. My first step launching this company was to, I built my own curriculum. It was one work, it was a, a little group of cohorts uh, focused on indiv- like, how do you navigate high growth tech companies or complex organizations? How do you self-advocate? Why do you need to build a personal brand? How do you get those stakeholders to really understand who you are and then start advocating for you? And I built that out for women and underrepresented talent within an organization. And that's how we started growing. And we really use this program to this day, not only because it's very close to us as a company and what we care about the most, but also we use it to understand why is this so hard? Why is this so challenging? And what I came to understand is that all of these programs are just run through a spreadsheet. um, And that's why there's no technology behind it that allows Mm -hmm. it to scale. And before the pandemic, it was just somebody like me flying you know, being flown from office to office to office to do training, and you were confined by the four walls of a conference room. And I just said, this is crazy. They pay so much money to fly someone around. You can't scale. You know, I could teach this all day long, but I'm not going to make the impact that I know I need to make in order to move the needle unless I can make it create, make it scalable. Mm-hmm. So I finally said, I got to create a platform for this that allows that backend technology that automates all of the steps along the way that make training so cumbersome and challenging. So then um, I went to um, an investor and I pitched this idea of this platform and I was funded to build out the platform. This was in 2019, by the way. So it was before the pandemic. And I started to try to sell it. And I went from company to company. I went to Google. Actually, we launched with Google. We did this incredible um, pilot with Google. And then I went to other companies like Pinterest and several others. But what almost all of these companies said to me is, I don't know, we don't really believe in remote training. We want you, Allie, to come to all of our offices. There's an office in Dublin and there's one in Chicago and San Francisco. Come yeah. to every single one of our offices and train us there. And I would say, you guys are missing the point. I could train all of your employees instead of just 20 per office, which is, you know, like 50. Let's do this instead. And they weren't buying it. Then the pandemic happened and we were all at home. And I had this platform ready to roll. And that's when we started scaling. Yahoo knocked on our door. They're now one of our largest clients. They're an incredible partner with us. They are very dedicated to supporting all of their employees in a variety of ways. And we've just been growing ever since then. So we had the right you know, product at almost the wrong time if the pandemic happened. And then it was the perfect time because we were all at home. And it proved to everyone within companies that you can build incredible relationships there's incredible things that can happen when you are, you know, still remote. You don't have to be face to face. Right. 
So just like this conversation. Well, this was, I, I mean, incredible, yeah, I mean, and look, we this, are on this, a Zoom. I, you know how long it would take for me to book you? You know what I mean? If I mean, look, we live in the same town, but if you had to come in yeah. person, it's just it's much different. And, you know, we can get we can get a lot of the same conversation um, out yes. of it. And, you know, like these kinds of things will help people understand what, you know, it's not, it might not be them who are working in these companies. Like they haven't had the training or need the training, you know, which right. is great. Yeah. And I think the pandemic made a lot to, you know, went a very far away to show what can get done in, in remote situations. I mean, in real life, yes, there is a lot to be said for that, for, you know, impromptu and reactions. And, you know, when you go to the water cooler and all those kinds of things, you know, that really are amazing in, in real life. But if you can get the bulk of it done and help a lot of people and get them 90% instead of a hundred, then that's worth it. You know? I so agree. I talk about that a lot too, of, you know, there could be the perfect training, but if you only, if you have the perfect training to 20 people out of 500, who cares? Like yeah. it's, you don't have the impact. How about slightly, you know, if, if somebody views, like if they say we really want it in person, it's, is it worth it? If you have to limit the amount of people that you're supporting? I don't think so. And what's really interesting too, and I get asked this a lot by venture folks, they'll say to me, well, Allie, if everyone goes back into the office tomorrow, is your product, like, will your product not be as valuable? And the answer is it will be even more valuable because when you're back in the office, you're still just working with your team. You're not meeting people across, you know, across um, locations. You're not meeting people across departments. Somebody, how many people within a company have met the person in finance unless they work in finance? And yet, you know, like the finance team, like they're the ones that can help you understand exact business metrics that, you know, you need to really think about in order to make your company wildly successful. They're the ones that could help you understand how to read an earnings report and a P&L so that you could be perfectly aligned with your CEO when you're building out your strategy for whatever it is that you're working on. It could be product, yeah. a feature, sales, you know, whatever. Yeah. So we all need to collaborate across departments. And then from a company standpoint, it increases retention. It creates more innovation. Like it makes people happier because they're connecting with each other. It's really, and it, you're, then you're, job at your company almost becomes like a career sandbox where you could experiment and try to take different roles throughout an organization and really build out an incredible skill set that you really couldn't do going from one company to the next to the next. So I think it's like wildly beneficial for people. And what do, um, what about if you are an individual, can you sign up and get this training yourself or is it like a B2B service only? So really our business is B2B. That being said, we run three times a year a public program. So for instance, this February, we have one focused on manager essentials. So it's that curriculum I told you about. Um, and then in May and October, we're doing another public program. Both of those are focused on a program we call Level Up. And that's the one I mentioned too, where we're teaching people how to navigate organizations. How do you really take ownership of your career? How do you have a bigger impact, drive more revenue for your organization? And I don't care what role you're in, we're all focused on either making money for the company or saving money for the company. So really understanding what is translating your work to business impact and then seeking to have a biz- bigger impact over time. That's what we teach. Right. Um, and from there, that's where we have lots of people across different companies um, that are, a lot of them are tech, finance, media, and it's a great opportunity to meet other people and really collaborate in a different way. 
that's an interesting point that you brought up, which is um, you're either making money or saving money for the company. And as an executive, I've always found that one of the most difficult things to get across to more junior exec, you know, uh, employees, et cetera, because, you know, they want to join something that they want to be a part of, you know, they're not thinking necessarily of the P&L and the bottom line, but it's a business, you know, this is not a playground, it's a business. And, you know, to try to get them to understand that it's like, whether or not I was in like, you know, an events place. And it's like, no, we can't rent out MoMA for two hours for this. It would be great, but we can't, you know what I mean? Especially be <laughs> amongst creatives, you know, it's yes. really difficult. And it's a great idea. Of course, who wouldn't want to do that? But you can't do that, you know, and trying to get them to understand P&L's and they're like, oh, so boring. But you're like, no, it, and, and, you know, the same as like with, you know, women in finance, ooh, it's yucky, you know, you know, like we've all heard these, you know, somebody told me yesterday how when her father died a little bit early, I mean, he wasn't super young, but like he was in, he was in an age that would be expected, but um, her mother had never once looked at their finances and literally was forced to. And it's like, who does that serve? <laughs> no one. <laughs> It's not good for you. It's not good for the family. Like, what if you're, you know, it's, it's like, you need to understand all aspects of one's life when all aspects of one's business, you know, what if you're marketing and PR in a company and all of a sudden you get into C-suite level and you're sitting in these big meetings and, you know, they start talking about P&Ls and you're like, I don't even know what they're talking about. You need to figure those things out. That's exactly right. And it's one of the yourself. one of the cohorts that we teach is business acumen. Um, yeah, that is, and we dive into that in a deeper way. But yes, people absolutely need to understand how their job translates because otherwise they wouldn't be at that company. And I don't think they a lot of people don't understand that. To your point, and you know, one of the groups that we work with a lot within companies are um, ERGs, like women's groups, and they're often led by someone and they don't, they can't translate their work. Like they're so um, they're very much so focused on doing incredible, meaningful work, but I have to remind them this incredible, meaningful work would not happen unless there's a business impact. So you're so, and they're a finance person and their strategy, but you know, like they believe that by creating community within the company, it's going to drive business outcomes, making money or saving money. Yeah. That's, Otherwise, we would not all be here doing this. Yes. I mean, and again, it's like, don't confuse business with pleasure. Like your pleasure is after hours. This is a business. You know, don't put all of your purpose and energy and like love and attention in it. Like business is business. You know, you want it helps if you work at a place where you you get behind what they're doing, but ultimately they're going to make decisions that are probably not a hundred percent in line with what you your purpose and passion and you know outcome on life are. And they're gonna do it because of a business decision, you know. Yes. Whether yes. that's outsourcing I, to another country or, you know, getting an ingredient that's not as clean or whatever it is, even the ones that are clean and sustainable, et cetera, have to make certain decisions as a company, you know, to, and maybe that's not hiring more people because the ingredients and everything are so expensive because of the, it's a sustainable and eco company, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And so, you know, the only way you're going to solve that is to start your own company. <laughs> Well, I'm a big yeah. advocate for starting one's own company. It's a yeah. wild ride. And I never thought I could do this, by the way. I I don't know. I just, 
I always admired entrepreneurs. I really admired entrepreneurs. I was like fangirling entrepreneurs, but I never thought I could do that. And then I just did. I literally just said, here's a big, enormous problem. I'm one of the people that could help solve this. I have an idea. I'm going to start working, chipping, chipping away at it. Um, Although I have to say I was very lucky because I I did have a, you know, a really strong career before then. So I had savings. I also have a husband who works. So I was able to not take an income for a while while I was, you know, working on this business. Mm -hmm. But there are still ways in which to get funding or if you have an idea, like there are different networks that are beginning to start up that if someone did have an idea and they do want to start a company, um, they can sort of tap into a variety of communities or, you know, accelerators or whatnot to try to. No, I know. Yeah. I think that's great because I think we're also tired of hearing how women only get 2% of venture funding. I want to change the narrative and we're like only 2% of women went to venture funding because they don't serve us. (laughs) We're getting our funding other places, you know? And that's yes. like, we don't need your money. We're going to get it other places yes. um, because if they don't serve us and why are we going to them and letting them be a part of our companies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And have that big win when we have that big win with the, with the big exit that I expect exactly. from all of the women that I know. Exactly. <laughs> this year it's happening for all of us. Yes. Um, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. It is amazing. And I love what you're doing. And I love that, you know, companies are actually taking it seriously and participating in it because it's extremely important. Like we have the patriarchal system that needs to change massively. And then, uh, you know, we're building the matriarchal system, you know, women like you and me starting our own businesses and creating spaces, you know, that we don't even have to have the technology, you know what I mean? It's like, well, you always, you always want management. I mean, you know, you always want that, but like that you don't have to think about the fact that, that they're doing it for, you know, to create a more diverse situation. It's because you need the training, right? That's right. right. And the pressure is on, you know, the market isn't great for a lot of our tech clients. Um, A lot of them have had layoffs and it's very interesting to me because they've spent the past 20 years really trying to, or the way that over the past 20 years, these tech companies have achieved their goals is by funding and then hiring their way to growth and it's growth at all costs. So they'll double the size of their team, triple the size of their team. And now there are hiring freezes everywhere. There's, you know, layoffs within tech, 170,000 tech employees were laid off just in like Q4 of last year, maybe a little Q3 and Q4, but mostly Q4. It's in huge staggering number. And so if these companies don't really look within at the employees that they have and look at them and say, we're going to help you operate at a higher level, manage better, sell more effectively, understand the P&L so you can make better business decisions, like all of that. I don't know how they're going to be able to achieve their goals, which are really pretty large and staggering. So the pressure is on. Um, They have a solution, but they have to be able to, you know, implement it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, kind of goes into my last question that I ask every single person here in that, you know, everybody thinks um, has a certain opinion on how to do things and what you should do. And in particular, when you're funding, you know, uh, white men at the top and, you know, they're all the managers, you know, they often become the mentors and as well-intentioned as a lot of the advice is they've never walked in the shoes of being a woman in business. Um, and so with that, like, what is the worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> okay. I think the worst advice I ever received was to actually go for a promotion. And let me explain. 
It's not that going for the promotion. What I should have done is I waited too long. I waited for a slot to be open to then raise my hand and say, I am promotion ready. And this is why I think I should have it. Really what I should have done is I should have long before that slot opened, I should have been pitching myself for a much bigger role, created a role for myself within the organization in which I worked. I had just driven like billions of dollars for my company and I just got in line for the promotion like everyone else who did not achieve what I had achieved. And I just didn't know. I just thought, well, that's what you do. You get online for the promotion. Like, you know, yeah. that was the advice that I was given. Like, why don't you wait for a promotion? Wait, why right. wait? I should have, you know, like really made a case. If I got it or not, I still think I would feel better to this day. I realized that with a better advice would have been, go for this big thing. You deserve it. And this is how you're going to build a case around it for, you know, the imp- based on the impact that you've had at this company. Yeah. But I didn't know. By the way, I, I went for the promotion. I didn't even get it, JJ, because it went to some other guy who was like unassigned for the role and was already at that level. So they just slotted him in. Um, because he was unassigned so was because he went for a bigger thing without having a, a role for it. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that goes out like I just did the CNBC article talking about always trying to get to the top, but also like have your tribe of people not inside but out. I mean, I'm obviously a big advocate for having an outside lawyer and all my clients all the time, they call me like, this happened, this happened, what should I do? I'm like, you, we need to ask for this. Even if I'm not the one advocating for them, I give them the language and Cerno to Bergerac, all of their emails to get like what they want. Like, it's true because, you know, that. you have to keep track of that. You have to always. Yeah. yeah, I needed that then. Yes. No, I love that. That's great advice and one that we have not yet heard. So I love it. Um, well, thank you so much, Ali. If people want to find you, how do they do that? They can reach out to me at Allie Young, A-L-L-I-Y-O-U-N-G at the forum, uh, F-O-R-E-M.co. So Allie Young at the forum.co. I have been told I should maybe change my email because I always have to spell it out, but that's what it is. Or just go to the forum.co website and reach out to us there. I love it. Thank you so much for all of this. Very insightful. And to everyone here, thank you for listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice.